welcome to episode 8 of Big Screen Auckland. I'm Corey. I'm Nige. It's been a fortnight actually since we've recorded, but you can suck it up because as Kevin Smith always says, this is free. We've got a hell of a lot of films to go through this week. No top 10 lists, sorry. But the World Cinema Showcase has started, so we've seen a couple of those films and we've seen a fortnight's worth of normal films. We've got a treat for you next week actually. We're going to do a big recap of the World Cinema Showcase and interview the, the director of the showcase, who's actually the director of the Film Fest. That's going to be quite exciting. So get your friends and family to download for next week. Oh, that was a plug. I'm sure it worked a treat. Hell yeah. Mike from Melbourne, is he's going to be you know, writing that shit in his diary. Our number one Australian fan. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Should we jump into uh, one of these films? Where do you want to start? Oh, hang on. <laughs> what do did you, you think of Limitless? Do, oh, do your spoiler warning. They love that. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to be dicks. These are the films we might ruin. Yeah, rattle them off. Rattle them off. Good call. Uh, Limitless, Never Let Me Go, Get Low, The Butcher, The Chef, and The Swordsman. And Catfish, um, which is a cinema showcase film. The Art of the Steel, a cinema showcase film. And Rubber, a cinema showcase film. That's seven we're about to talk about, and we, we don't aim for spoilers, but yeah. We're not very careful. It's too we're late. a little clumsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too late to tell them this is going to be a really long episode because they've already downloaded. They're looking at it like when they hit play, it said like an hour and twenty to go. So yeah. they know we're gonna we're gonna go for go for gold. <laughs> Limitless. What, what did a, you think of Limitless, Corey? No, like what a great film. Bradley Cooper, Bobby De Niro. <coughs> about a dude that takes a pill that makes him super smart, I think is the premise. It's perfect for cinema attending. It, yeah. was, it, was, it was exactly, everything about it was right. It was action and funny, pretty, intriguing, and a little bit thrilling, and a little bit pieced together a puzzle, and what's going to happen, and your emotions are up and down, and oh, it, was, it was the biz, it was the fucking biz. Thoughts. It's not a great film. Oh, uh, yeah, but that's that's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, it is. It actually is. For once, I agree with you. This is, um, not to bring up a sore point, but... Um, Don't say Battle LA. Battle LA. <laughs> the point you're making with Battle LA, it's just good, dumb fun that you want to watch. Yeah. That you can just sit back and enjoy in the cinema. I don't agree with Battle LA. However, this one, I do agree. Mm. People will go, yeah, but the, you know, 10% of your brain, that's not how it works. You use your whole brain, but at different times, and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's not quite correct. You know, fuck the science, I don't care. <laughs> it was just... Yeah, no, it was, this pill makes you use 100%. And not just that, but it's like, should we explain how the chemicals work? No, we'll have a little infographic of a brain and show it all light up. Yeah. Okay, but he says now he can understand maths better. How should we show that? Numbers fall from the sky. Yeah, there was a lot of cutaways, a lot of things that you know weren't happening in the physical world. It was very, uh, very stylized. It was a great way to do it, though. Like if they could learn, they could learn some tricks from this in a comic book movie to explain some some other powers. You know, it was a really clever way of doing it. Yeah. How, yeah. How's he recording all this information? Cut back to him reading a book. The chapter comes out, floats across his mind, and he repeats it verbatim to the dude in front of him who goes, wow, you're clever. Yeah, it was really cool. And, like, you know, then he had a little uh, glossy life for a little while there, and they explained it by, like, I met some cool friends and impressed them with my witty stories, and that's how I ended up in Monaco driving sports cars. It was all believable enough to not detract you in any way, and the film just... Yeah, it had its own rules, in it, and it stuck to them, and they might have been dopey rules, but they were fun rules, and it, mm. it executed it very well. But not just him. I mean, not just Bradley Cooper. Like, all the supporting... His missus was good. His missus. I can't Lastly, and the Russian gangster was good. And Robert Russian was gangster was the best. He right. was the best thing in the whole film, man. He was awesome. Don't know who that guy is, but he was very charismatic for a mm. for a gangster. I'm glad. I'm really glad they bothered to give him character at all. Yeah, one of could have just been a thug. One of my favorite lines of his at the, the very end is he's like, um, I can't remember it, but he's like, I learned that word by googling it. Dubious. That's right. I'm, I'm kind of dubious whether this is gonna. Dubious. That's a good word. I like that. Like, yeah, he had uh, he had charm oozing out of him. That Russian gangster. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. With his missing tooth or whatever it was. He pointed out that his vocabulary is not very good. <laughs> yeah, he was really funny. And it was, you know, Bobby De Niro and the little twist, and at the very end, it was all 
was fucking it was a money film. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah, I think you've used maybe used the word clever a few too many times. I'm not sure it was a clever film. It's clever. Well, if it's, you wanted to watch a clever film, I mean, there's much cleverer films you could go and find. No, not clever in terms of it was written for clever people, but like I like a film where you can try and piece what's going to happen and how they're going to get out of this situation. Like telling his girl to take that pill and she decides to run and jump and skate it. The entire thing was based on being clever. That's what I meant by it was a clever film. Like, right, right, right. How'd they get out of this situation? They used a MacGyverism or they did this or they... Yeah, okay. I'm with that's you. what I meant by clever film. Right, right, right. It wasn't a documentary on art theft. No. It wasn't that sort of clever film. But it's not. It's also not a, a groundbreaking, like... Um, Memento or something, it's not like, wow, now this is a clever film, you should check this out, this will blow you away. Yeah, because that's all Memento had was its clever premise. No, not all it had, it sounds like negative. This was like equal dashings of a little bit clever and a little bit smart and, um, I mean, I don't want to sound shallow, but all the people in it were like pretty, it was Hollywood enough to be all good. Um, what did you think about the girls when the girl took the pill? What did you think of her input with the skate? Yeah. I and mean, then and then, and then then breaking up with him and, and stuff. Like she was a bit of a dick. I mean, he gets the girl in the end. Why would you want to? <laughs> You'd never? No, I didn't notice that too no. much. Uh, didn't pay well, would you have gone for the for the ice skate? She'd taken the pill. She weighed up all options and realized the ice skate was the only way to go. Yeah, she, but she, she, you know, she looked at the baseball bat. She looked at the hedge clippers. And she looked at a little girl's ice skates and she just kind of picks up a random girl and swings her around. The father does nothing. It was it was the worst scene in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, right. you know, it was like maybe in her mind she worked out all possibilities with a baseball bat and was going to hit him once, but then he grabs the bat off her and smacks her in the face and she loses. Maybe regarding the head clippers, she stands. Thanks for for it. It was shit. No, it was clever. Really? Yeah. Clever. Well, the writers in the room. That word again. You the really writers. Thought this is a clever film, didn't you? The writers in the room were like, "We need a way to get her to escape." Now she's become the smartest girl in the world, so she can do anything. She can do a backflip off the rock and double somersault through the trees and just run away. We need to make this as theatrical as we can. Let's have her run across an ice skating rink and grab a little girl. And for the entertainment I was going for, that fit perfectly. It certainly didn't detract. I didn't walk away thinking that was the worst scene. What was the worst scene? I don't watch films and pick out worse scenes. So this is just a gush fest. Yeah, it was a great film. Wow. It was awesome. It was I mean, awesome. I didn't... It um, was fun. I suppose if I wanted to be negative about it, I'd be like, they spent a bit too long worrying about how fast he was making money. Like, if anything, why didn't he just take his first winnings and pay back the gangster mm. and be done with him? He's, you know, he's the smartest man in the world and the gangster tracks him down two months later. I'm going to kill you because you didn't pay me back. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> you know, there would have been no antagonist if he'd have just paid him. He, yeah, could, yeah. he could have easily paid him right. and he didn't pay him. So right. he came back much later on. Yeah, 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 that was a bit weak. How about how they just totally disregarded the dead girl? Oh yeah, like yeah. there was a whole subplot where he, he may have killed someone, but the lawyer helped confuse it. It was just a, a, a trick so he could he could meet the lawyer. That's the only reason that three was in the story at all. Yeah, but we knew he was innocent. Did we? Yeah, because we saw the dude following him in the hotel, and we knew that he didn't see him. Oh, I missed that. Oh, like we got to reveal that he didn't. He walked oh, out okay. going, I'm so confused, I may have killed him. We're like, you didn't, bro, you were set up. All oh, right, does Bradley Cooper know that? No, Bradley, Bradley Cooper doesn't know that. All oh, right, but he just didn't give, he, he just didn't care. It just didn't come back into it again. Yeah. The, the, the dead girl just totally goes out of the film. It's like, yeah, that's not fun. Let's do fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, no, Brad didn't know he didn't kill her because he, he'd blacked out. He went to that, um, it was one of those periods where he couldn't remember. But we as an audience knew he didn't. I don't know, I missed that. Anyway, they made it irrelevant, so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> I suppose we were instantly didn't think, hey, he's a murderer, going to get away with this. Or maybe, yeah, once it was like, and he didn't give a shit apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, he's not, and they're not going to worry about him suffering with guilt or, or anything. Just like, yes, I've got through the lineup. 
Next. Yeah. Move on. Move on. Ah, the lawyer stole my pills. That prick. It was that kind of film. Yeah. Yeah, yep, it was. Speaking of... Uh, go for should it. Should we go from good to bad? Yeah. I think the audience is going to think we're haters of Chinese films because we've ripped apart... What the fuck was the last one? Shaolin. Shaolin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But we went and saw The Butcher, The Chef, and The Swordsman, which was... Worse. <laughs> it's the benchmark for bad films these days. <laughs> It was terrible. A weak premise is that these three storylines and these three protagonists are all connected by the, this cleaver, this sword, this weapon, or whatever it is they all use. It doesn't even matter, really. No, it doesn't. What matters is the very first one starts off with a screaming fat butcher doing mm. fucking theatrical face-pulling, contortion, screaming... It's like they were <sighs> performing for, for like a kid's birthday party or something. Just like yeah. way overacting, hamming it up, being clowns. The camera was loving it. Like, do that punchline, do the punchline. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> Horrible humour. The director was just throwing everything in there. Like, make it a... Oh, it was like a Mortal Kombat scene. There was, um, all of a sudden it was like on Super 8. It just kept changing. He just threw every trick in the book. Speed ramping. Time, time as the clouds. Yeah. Um, black and white and red. Yeah, colour washed out. Oh, yeah. It was some animation. He went to the Wikipedia article and read film techniques and then copied and pasted the first 90 and put them in. <laughs> it was terrible. He did well. He's a very capable guy. He's a one-name dude too. Wushan or something. Was he Korean but the film's Chinese? Starring a Jap? No, he's Mongolian. That's Chinese. Mongolian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was good though. The mute, the Japanese guy. Yeah. There's not much to salvage this film. It's re- definitely don't see it. Please don't see it. Usually, I don't tell you that to do that, but please don't see it. If you're gonna see it, wait till it's on DVD and watch it while you're doing something else. So that you no, look- just get a better DVD. Oh yeah, true that. And it was presented by Doug Lyman, who who made like Born Identity and Mr. and Mrs. Smith and shit. I, I have no idea why he thinks it's great, but don't be fooled by that on the cover. It's a trick. Track. It's it's just <laughs> nicely done. Just as bad as those people that are like from the executive producer of who gives a shit. Whether the executive producer is the same. Who gives but, a shit. But if it's like um some big American director has thought this is worthy to go and pluck it from overseas mm. and back it money money and help wise to get, make sure everyone in the Western world sees it. Like Tarantino with Hero. Why this film? This is awful. You know why? Because he was sent to he watched Shaolin. And thought, fuck, if I have to pick one of these to represent, it's not Shallon through the bin. And he didn't even bother watching this one because he thought nothing could be worse than the other. Right. Like, he, he was he was given the option. Like, the Chinese government said, we'll give you a million dollars if you promote one of our films. Here's two of them. And he, his wife put both behind his back and he went left. They watched Shallon and he went, fuck it, tell him I endorse the other. That was terrible. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> So that's yeah. Don't watch. Maybe it was a, no. Maybe he was impressed with the director. Like on, on a serious tip, sorry. Maybe he was impressed with the director and was like, "This is a good show to showcase. I could do every style in the world at the same time." And you know, maybe Wershan's now going to come to Hollywood or something. Maybe this was the help up. Yeah, I'm not bagging the director, although his choices. He needs to fucking calm down. <laughs> yeah, he does. He needs to pick one of those things, not the animation. He needs to pick one of those things and and not the Mortal Kombat scene and make it. Elaborate, yeah. elaborate on a chef. That was good. Yeah, it's yeah. So, so just to clarify, it's three separate short films based around one object, but they they're barely tied together, and they're all in different styles. And it's here's a positive because I'm that kind of guy. If they cut out the butcher and the swordsman, made the chef a short film, trimmed all the crap out of it, didn't have the um, eunuch. Yeah, that could be right. If they if they took that out in half film and made it eight minutes, that could be right. <laughs> There's yeah. a positive. See? <laughs> a positive kind of guy. Yeah, nice. Let's move on to a good film. <laughs> How about that? Um, 
we still get low. I said last week we're going to go and see the Bill Murray comedy. It's not a Bill Murray comedy. No, not a comedy at all. Mm. Funny scene or two. It's a Robert Duvall acting masterclass film. And boy, he can act. He was really good as, as old man. He, he had lots of little noises and stuff he did that you're just like, wow, this performance is really fucking good. Yeah, old man hermit. Mm. Perfect. And like I liked, without sounding like a douche, I liked the carpentry and the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and his cabin and shit like that. I liked all that. I liked his hermit ways. Mm. I liked all the scenes thrown through the woods and stuff like that. That was very nice. But he, he's a, he's an old man who's been a hermit in the forest for forty years. Yeah, he lives like on the outskirts of town. And the whole town thinks he's weird and, and possibly dangerous. And then he decides to throw himself a funeral party while he's still alive. And he enlists Bill Murray to help him. Yeah, because he wanted to hear the, the town folk stories about him while he was still alive or something. Unfortunately, I, I didn't like the film. I thought it, it really wasted the story. Like, it, it, it focused on two things. One, they, they tried to make a like a mystery of what he did. You know, the young character who was sort of our guide through the movie. Yeah. He was really trying to solve why has he been out in the forest for 40 years? Like, what is this terrible thing he did? They tried to present that as a mystery, which didn't work at all, didn't pay off. Yeah. And the other part was you're all building up to this big funeral party because all the townsfolk were going to talk about it, yeah, which really, didn't happen. I know. I was looking forward to hearing all these stories. That was yeah. really awesome. And him either debunking them or sitting there with a smirk to himself, realizing they're all not true. I thought that was when we were going to connect with them most. Yeah. It wasn't. There's no joke that I said I liked Robert Duvall. I liked his carpentry. I liked his beard. There wasn't much else to it. I like that yeah. comment you said that someone else said. It looked like a two and a half hour film, and then they went, "Fuck, that didn't work." Oh my god, cut it down to an hour and a half, and yeah. um, and let's hope that works. And that may have been a little bit better, mm. but it did felt a bit um, disjointed. But everything was good. Bill Murray was great. Robert Duvall was amazing. Sissy Spacek was fine. Our the filming was good. good. The kid. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was neither here nor there. Nothing good to say about him. Nothing bad either. He might have handled the accent a bit much. But anyway, yeah. it was it was all fine. But the, the, the biggest problem was just the story, man. There was nothing to... They just did it wrong. Even a good premise. And they just didn't use it. It's like the storytelling... There was no storytelling skills there at all. Ditch, just watch Robert Duvall. What they should have done is ditch the kid, had Robert Duvall meet... Sissy. No, no, no. Fuck Sissy. Bill Murray could have been the dude that moved out of town, bought a business that was going bust, befriended a hermit, and they could have sat on this porch and drank until one of them died, and it could have been a, an old man friend thing. That would have been fine. Uh, but they would have had to get the, the black preacher in because he was awesome too. Jeez, and his hands were freakishly long. And <laughs> Did you see his fingers? I didn't notice that. Man, that shit was freaking me out. He was all dangly, dangly long finger, <laughs> man. Yeah, he was good. And his church was nice. Back to carpentry. Yeah, it could have been one of those. It could have been one of those men sitting around talking films. They would have been awesome. Mm. Instead, they tried to throw in stealing money and lottery and scenes on the radio and what about his sister and walks in the rain and stuff like that. Yeah, it was a bit of a letdown, actually. Bit do of, do bit, we drop a recommend on it? Bit of a waste. Uh, not from me. No, neither. Just a bit of film. It's a shame, because it had potential. Yeah, and Robert Duvall, and he de delivers his big monologue at the end, too, which is awesome. Mm. If you're a Robert Duvall fan, this is another one he acts really well in. But there's other films he acts really well in. That's probably better than this. But fuck it. Also, we saw Never Let Me Go, which has... Which a lot of films. For a film podcast, you'd hope so. <laughs> and Andrew Garfield, a.k.a. Spider-Man, a.k.a. Eduardo, gets ripped off by Zuckerberg in The Social Network, who was a fucking whinger in that film, just quietly. Mm. Him and some chicks who you know the names of? Kira Knightley. 
and Kiri Mulligan. Kiri and Kira. Mm. How many of those girls are you in love with, Nigel? No, I'm hugely in love with Kira Mulligan. Kira Knightley is quite the opposite. I've always hated that girl. Oh, brutal. Her, her Isn't she Penelope Cruz? Me. She's Penelope Cruz, right? No, um, Penelope Cruz um, can act. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rough. Anyway, though, this we should give a little bit of the plot. Yeah, like it look, it's all set in the like the the quiet English countryside. It's a very quiet English film. It's set in a dystopia, a version of the seventies where children are grown. It, goes, it goes from like the seventies to the mid eighties to the early nineties, and it follows the kids when they're like seven years old at boarding school to when they're late teens and flatting with a bunch of other kids to when they're early adults living out the rest of their short lives. Mm. The simple premise it gives is we've made a national donor program yeah they grow them and they realize that their life is only ever to become adults be healthy their entire lives eat their vitamin supplements and then one day we will pull an organ from you to give to the population you're not part of the population you're in the donor program we'll harvest some organs from you yeah she mentions in this version of the 90s in england somewhere there's no lung cancer there's no breast cancer and there's no motor neuron <laughs> and that she was probably just plucking those from a hat like so they've kind of fixed a lot of shit by cloning kids and harvesting their organs yeah and the way they do it is like they won't just take a lung off you and then you can go away and live to your 70. They'll take a lung off you in one operation for the old guy that lives down the road that needs a lung. Then one of you will give an eye for the dude that lost an eye in a hunting accident. And then you'll give a leg and you can still live with one leg, one lung and one eye. You're not Lord Nelson. And then they'll take your heart. Lord Nelson got shot in the eye and the arm and the leg or something. It's famous. Yeah. When you're playing cricket and the other team gets 1-1-1. One, 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 you're meant to lift a leg off for good luck because of Horatio or whatever the fuck his name was. Right. British history? No, I don't know. I'm making that up now. Again, our listeners will um, Wikipedia <laughs> this and prove me wrong. Yeah, so you'll give a lung and you can still live. Then they'll take a kidney and you can still live. And then like your fourth operation, they'll be like, well, we're taking your heart, so life's up. At one stage, it hinted at a darker thing when Penelope Cruz was like... Um, <laughs> When Penelope Cruz is like, I hear secretly that they actually keep you alive. She wishes she was Penelope Cruz. They secretly keep you alive and do way more donations, you know, but you're just a vegetable and they just, I don't want to live like that. I hope I die after my fourth. Mm. There was no Logan's run. Nobody was running from it. There was, they were all resigned to it. And they were all checking in like with little bracelets and, and wrist tags or whatever it was, scanning into little bleeps in the side of their houses. It, the sci-fi, the, the the premise of their setting was really, really in the background. Yeah, exactly. There was no why the they doing this was, to us. There was no questioning it. There was no going into it anymore. It was more of a, a moral, uh, like a, it's, it's a drama and, a, and a, like a romance. Uh, but it's, the one thing that we haven't mentioned about this film is, holy fuck, I love this film. Did we mention that yet? No, we haven't. We haven't Holy been. fuck, I love this film. They really did well. The acting was great. The kids were great. Settings were good. Costumes were good. It was filmed beautifully. Even Garfield didn't annoy me. I thought he was going to. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Kira is the one. She, I knew she was going to piss me off. Everything I've seen her in, I've hated her in. All the Pirates movies and Domino. Ah, and the fucking Pirates movies. Now I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's where Penelope Cruz is now in the new Pirates. That's where oh, she's getting she? the, your wires crossed. No, well, I just thought she looked like her. I wasn't getting the wires crossed. Yeah, but Blondie, let's call them... The the dude, Blondie and Brunette. <laughs> that's easier. Okay. The dude was fine. Fuck Brunette. Blondie was incredible. Blondie kid, Blondie teenager, Blondie adult. Ah. Yeah, I mean. She was awesome town. Kira Mulligan was up for Best Actress last year or whatever. Blondie, Blondie sorry. What for? And Education. Peter Sars. Uh, yeah, I never saw that. No, I really need to now. But that's the one where she falls for like a much older dude or something. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wanted to see that as well. well I'm going to track down everything she's done now. I'm not even going to watch. I scoffed at it when it was in theatres, but now I'm going to go back and watch Wall Street 2. She... I want to see that because I'm a fan of Wall Street 1. And you missed it at theatres. Yeah. 
It's shit. It's, it's got the kid from the new Indiana Jones Oh, that's Jones right. Film. You're not a fan of big screen. No, no. I purposely <laughs> avoided it because of Shia LaBeouf. Right, right, right. Because, I mean, regardless of the fact that he, he should be shot after appearing in Transformers 1, 2, possibly 3, and Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Skull, like, you hack. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you're the next big thing, stop appearing in these terrible fucking films. You like his smaller works like Eagle Eye and stuff like that. Why is he appearing in everything shit? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Has he signed a contract to promise to appear in 10 crap films? I've heard good things about Disturbia. I can't. I don't know what that is. Teen retelling of Rear Window, I think. Starring. Shia And his name's so fucking gay as well. Shia LaBeouf? Really? If you're going to be big, you need a name like Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks or Robert Downey Jr. Not Shia LaBeouf. Who's the dude from... It's catchy. No, it's catchy in a gay way. Who's the dude from No Country for Old Men? Javier Bardem. Yeah, that's a name. If you want to have an exotic sounding name, have it Javier Bardem, not Shia LaBeouf. You don't think that's his birth name? Yeah, no, I think it is. I don't think he chose that. Oh, right. You're not hassling him for the name you've been given. I'm hassling his gay sounding surname and the fucking gay sounding first name his parents gave him. <laughs> If your surname's LaBeouf, don't call your son Shire. Oh, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> How do we wow. get... I don't think I've ever had an issue with anyone's name before. Yeah, maybe because you never met anyone called Shire LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Shire. It's fucking terrible. Anyway, I mean, I've got no dramas with that. I mean, he can probably act, but he, he appears in nothing but shit films. And that's just got to suck for him. <laughs> so basically, never let me go. It was nothing. Fuck Shire LaBeouf's <laughs> parents. <laughs> They're asking for it. Make no apologies. They're never going to listen. And, uh, yeah, they can get stuff. No, the film was um, beautifully shot, beautifully um, told. I really like the way it was. A lot of things are just hinted at where you just discover them really, really fucking naturally. Uh, nothing's forced in your throat. It really trusts the audience. Just everything was done to perfection. It's just a quiet, kind of yeah. sad movie. Really, really smart. Yeah. Brilliantly acted. Kerry Mulligan, once again. Sometimes when they want to make a sad film, though, they make the sadness, like, in the face sadness mm. this was very subtle this is like they'd show some dude limping with only one leg and it'd be like just in case you'd forgotten that these people were only made to give organs they would subtly remind you that no like um, at one stage Andrew Garfield runs that boat and your heart's swelling with the fun they're having and they're all sitting at the beach and then he climbs inside the boat and he's like he's out of breath because they ripped half the fucking organs away and yeah. it's like it just hits you right there it's just mm. like a little gut punch that that's right he's oh, it, was, it, was, it was beautiful Recommend the shit out of it. Absolutely. Can I even see it in Auckland? Is it still on? Or we... Yeah, still on. Oh, okay. Never Let Me Go. Go see Never Let Me Go. Absolutely. Limitless was fun. Never Let Me Go was genius. Get Low was Av. Butcher, Chef, Swordsman. Holy shit, bad. As bad as Shia LaBeouf's name. So that was us in the multiplexes and the art houses for the last two weeks. Yeah, and as we've been going on for the last few episodes... The World Cinema Showcase, the little brother to the NZ Film Fest. And we'll ask Bill, director, why it's the little brother and what its role is. Mm. But we like it because it's more Film Fest, basically. It's, mm-hmm. it's the only way to see these good films. Absolutely. And on my most anticipated, we're Catfish and... We are what we are. We are what we are. Mexican yeah. Cannibals, yeah. So this was, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in heaven at the moment. Yeah, so we, we've seen three already together that we'll rant about now. Your catfish was the one that we were both fucking looking forward to. However, we, for months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The funny story about catfish, Nigel knew it was a doco going in and had heard a little thing about maybe it was false or a little bit of a setup was hidden in there. I had heard nothing about it. I don't think it was like a, a an action murder mystery film. When I sat down, I was like, 
the doco. It didn't jar me in any way. The whole time you thought you were watching a, like a mockumentary, a staged... No, not even that. I thought I was watching the first film ever to be told using social network. I thought the entire film was told by clips from YouTube and then Facebook page and then all shot and then like, like it would cut to Handycam then it would cut to a play then it would cut to a thing and like there might be some detectives trying to figure it out going back through social networking pages and you'd meet some dude and at the very last minute there'd be a twist. Oh my god, it was the one-armed man with the lead pipe in the ballroom. Oh, but, um, so pretty much the right thing. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a, wow. I knew the one was a documentarian and they filmed it. And I was half right. A lot of it was told using YouTube clips and... and yeah, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the time it was full screen Facebook or... Full screen computer. Google Maps or... Or even chat, text yeah. and shit like that. Yeah, a lot of Google Maps was GPS used. GPS when they're traveling and stuff. Yeah. It was used kind of well, too. Yeah, it was. So I was, I was happy with that when I walked out, but I didn't know it was a doco. Straight up, I didn't know it was a doco. But even till the end, as we walked out of the theater... No, when I walked out, I was like, wow, they made it. They made it look like a doco. Yeah, and yeah. You, and you were like, it was a doco. I was like, oh, are they not actors? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. That was real life. <laughs> that guy is Nev. He lives in New York. I'm like, oh, he's not. He's not Shia LaBeouf's little brother playing a dude called Nev. But it didn't. It didn't take anything away from me. Like whether now I know more about when people are saying there's a little bit. Let's should we give him a brief synopsis? So it's a bunch of New York. There's a New York artist, a photographer, and he he shares an office space and lives with his brother or whatever it is, who's a documentarian. Him and his partner are a documentarian. And one day he he takes a photo of something. It ends up in the New York Times. Some woman or some lay year old. A couple of states over, sees the photo, paints a picture of it, and, and posts it to him. And he's like, "Wow, this is fucking awesome!" From an eight-year-old, and has like correspondence with her. Then she paints a few more things for him, and he has a correspondence with the mum. And she, the mum's ringing him, going like, "Thanks very much for helping my daughter and getting her this exhibition or whatever it is." Next thing you know, the, the mum's got like a teenage daughter who's a bit of a hottie, and he's friends with her on Facebook because he's friending the whole family because he's their New York benefactor. And he, he starts having a little bit of an affair, a long-distance relationship with the teenage daughter. And the entire time, he's having these conversations, chats, Facebook things watching the videos his brother the documentarian happens to have the camera on and then it, it sort of progresses from there until you get the twist at the end which we're not going to go into so he, tra he tracks down the family he tracks down the eight-year-old that paints the paint again he tracks down the teenage daughter and the mum and he goes and visits his family and yeah the whole thing's a doco i don't want to say any more than that even though it's been out for six months around the world we only just got it mm. it's not even out yet it's coming to if if we manage to sell this enough to you guys it's, it's coming out like 12th of may or some shit like that getting a general release probably a rialto if you like docos go and see this one this is an interesting i've never seen a doco like this before fascinating absolutely it was great. riveting it was great and, and really i think really interestingly done too with all the social media stuff i put it up there with dear zachary in terms of docos that like the, I, remember dear zachary. I don't think you saw it actually about the little boy who's murdered and you don't find out halfway through that he is sort of thing and that's real good like that's a docker that starts off halfway and then like catches up to itself midway and then like continues on the doco is now part of the life sort of thing halfway through it's mm. a bad way to explain it but this is like that this is one of the things that they start telling like docos always start telling off in the past and sometimes when it catches up and the docker becomes part of itself that's always intriguing mm -hmm. incredible though incredible documentary which one are you talking about now catfish catfish right and, and Zachary. Right, catfish, because we saw that the other day. So, of course, I'm talking about that one now. All right. Yeah, no, really gripping stuff, too, I thought. Yeah, it was brilliant. You, you don't want to do a spoiler thing? Well, I'm, I'm more than happy to spoil it. Fuck it. Skip for, skip for two minutes. Here comes a spoiler. There is no eight-year-old daughter. There is no hot-aged teenage daughter. All there is is a middle-aged woman living with her, her husband and two retarded adult sons uh, who's made up not only a fake life, 
She portrays herself as her own daughter. She does all the paintings herself and pushes them out to the world. She pretends she owns a gallery, but she doesn't. She pretends she's rich and the, the daughter's famous and is selling all her paintings. She doesn't. She's taken hundreds of Facebook pictures off other people, saved them to her hard drive and uploaded them as herself. Picture of her husband is fake. A fake network of friends around her, like an orchestrated litany of lies. Uh, Erebus quote. Incredible. This woman, you know how you're on Facebook and you think maybe that's a Photoshop photo someone or that's taken with good light? Everything about this woman was fake. And the, the documentarians track her down. They decide one day to go to her house. They trap her one day by asking the teenage daughter who's a singer-songwriter, a little hottie singer-songwriter. She's like chatting to them online. Oh, request any song and I'll sing it for you. They request a song. She sings it. And then they Google it and find the exact same rendition online. And they ask her, this sounds the same. And she's like, well, it's a cover. It's meant to sound the same. And they're like, do another one. So she does another one. It's exactly the same. They ring her and put her on the spot. How are you doing the exact same thing? She refuses to believe it. By fluke, they have like a documentary assignment the next town over from this one or in the same state. So they're over there anyway. They fly there, they rent a car, and they're like, fuck it, let's go visit her and see what's real and what's not. And they turn up and visit her. Not just visit her, but like visit her, realize it's all bullshit, confront her. She has a little teary scene where she admits to it all. They become friends and hug and, and like next thing you know it's revealed she's turned her life around and is pushing her paintings out by herself and the documentarians affected the whole film. And then you've got to think to yourself, this is where the controversy is, if you're still skipping this, I've just blown the whole thing. The controversy is, I suppose, at what point did the documentarians click that the woman was fake and keep going? Was it a fluke they recorded the whole thing and this happened to reveal itself? How convenient they now have a fucking one of the greatest documents ever made? Or... Did they click early on and steer the whole thing towards this big reveal? Thoughts? I go with, yeah, they found earlier on. I think there was some acting in it, is my guess. Yeah. And they've sort of said Not from the mum, only, I mean, yeah. she was acting non-stop. Mm. But yeah, I'm with you. They clicked early on and then started steering things. When they went to that house at two in the morning and went up to look through the window and got the mail out of the letterbox, fuck off. That was all... My question to you is, who was the dick? Not the mum. She had a mental problem. But not the documentarian either. Maybe she, Her mental problem, like, she'd gone very, very far and she'd carried it on for months and months and months. Like, she, she creates so many yeah. Facebook accounts and have to keep track of what all these fake people are doing. Multiple cell phones. And, like, she, she wasn't, that, move, she wasn't even that good at lying. Like, they'd be like, where's your teenage daughter? Oh, she's away. Oh, where's your little girl? Oh, she can't come on the phone right now. Like, there was no clever excuses. It was just, like... Not here. Not available. No, you can't talk to her. But like at some stage, was it a dick from the documentarian to, to grab the little girl and the little girl's friend and go, oh, so how often you paint? Oh, I don't really paint. My mum paints all the time. Like that was kind of, you know, at that stage, the jig was up, but they kept going on it. Exploiting. You don't think she was a dick. That was, that's a problem for her. They exploited a woman with mental issues to make a doco about a woman with mental issues. Mm. However... If they, if, they, if we're right, if it, it was set up, they're like, you know what? I reckon that this is one woman doing this. Let's go and fucking make a film about it. Let's Are they have... dicks from there? No, because I mean, it's a, it's a doco, and we chose to watch it. I mean, what if it was a sixty minute special on on people that make up fake Facebook accounts? Do we call 60 Minutes dicks if they go and reveal to someone? We don't. We assume that's their right as media to produce, you know, to present info to us or whatever it is. You do. I don't agree with that. Well, whatever. <laughs> that's your answer to that. Yeah, it is. These guys, I think, orchestrated it. Like, maybe gave her excuses to keep making up the lies. I'm in love with your daughter. Maybe she could do this. Oh, okay. She's a singer-songwriter. Like, how much of that was... How much of what she invented because of her mental issues were in response to what they were requesting? 
Send more paintings, send more paintings. We love what the eight-year-old girl's doing. And so next thing you know, she's doing all these paintings to, to fuel what they're asking for. They're asking knowing full well that she's, like maybe they helped her paint herself into a corner so that when they did the reveal, it was even better. And it was a fucking great reveal. Yeah. When they go and confront her and all that, that's powerful. Mm. I think they started, it was a bit like reality TV. It's reality, scripted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a fascinating documentary and, and because it exists, you should go see it because it's really awesome, even though we've just spoiled it. I kind of have issue with, should they have made it? Should they have released it? I don't think they've got the right to do that. I mean, maybe the woman signed it over and everything's fine, but yeah. they were dicks to start it to begin with. Do you think it's worse than Marlon Cole? Or on the same level as Marlon Cole? Pushing towards that at least. No, because they addressed this issue in Marlon Cole, that's more so. But this is heading in that direction. It's pretty fucking mean. Like, and even if she did release it, did sign a release and say, okay, you can make this film about me now because mm. you've already got this far. It needn't have got that far. Like, if she needs help, then... She was infatuated with him, though. If she signed over permission, it's because he asked her to. Can we have permission to do this? Or yeah. I'll give you a hug. Okay. What about her? Like, her husband didn't seem to mind. He was just like, thanks, you're really helping her out. But what about their retarded kids? They don't have a say, no matter whether they're portrayed on film. Actually, like, heavily retarded. At one stage, he asks, why are your kids downstairs screaming at themselves? And she's like, there's no other way to word it. They're heavily retarded. Yeah, so... Although I did like the time, like, earlier on, before you realise, and they tied in themselves, actually. Or he says something to the camera, like, I think this woman's dealing with a lot. She's running around managing this whole family, managing this situation. She's a bit of a superwoman. Then they turn the whole thing on its head, and they repeat that quote, and it means a whole new thing. I think this woman's a superwoman. She's dealing with a lot. That was quite uh, a clever way to, to frame it. Mm. Like I thought, I thought it was good. She is dealing with a lot, but not what we thought at the start of the film. She's dealing with a lot that we now know. And yeah, she yeah, is, yeah. it was the wrong way to do it. She shouldn't, like if it was all true, then she's a dick for fucking with these New Yorkers. You know, tagging them along, leading them along. But was he really in love with the 18-year-old girl? Did he really have his heart broken when he found that it wasn't real? Uh, no, he played along, I think, mm. well early. Like, maybe from the very first phone call, when he like he probably hung up and went to his, turned to his brother and went, I'm fucking adamant, it's the mum pretending to sound like a daughter. I think we've got to turn your camera on and I'll ring her back. That could have happened a lot. Yeah. I, it's too fluky that the brother recorded everything. Yeah, the team of three that were, that were making the film and the lead guys were cocks, in my opinion, mm. and possibly shouldn't have made the film. Although I fucking enjoyed the shit out of it, so kind of glad they did. Yeah. However, at no point do they admit ever if they've done it or not. So you, unless you're a cynic, you shouldn't have that opinion. Mm. To watch that film and, and only know that film, you would come out of it going, that woman's a loop cake, a fruit cake, batshit crazy. Incredible that that documentary happened to a film at all. Wow, they helped her out in the end there. That's how you're meant to view it, as they want you to. It doesn't take much of an intellect to look a little bit past that. Mm. They were manipulative cocks exploiting a seriously sick woman. Maybe. Or they just happened to have the camera on at the right time to come out with the year's greatest doco. Here we go. Spoiled. <laughs> Spoiled yeah. the fucking... What I don't I told them to not listen for four minutes. They... You said two. It's been about eight, I think. Oh, well, they heard six minutes of spoiler then. <laughs> the woman's an alien. There's your spoiler. <laughs> Speaking of docos at the Wilson Cinema Showcase, The Art of the Steel, which we just saw just today, actually, about a, a wealthy industrialist who... In the I thought this film would have fit really well as a double feature with People vs. George Lucas. Fuck yes, had the exact same thought mid-film. Ha! Exact same thought. Jinx. Whereas George Lucas was tackling who really owned Star Wars, the fan... Now actually, I'll interrupt you, I'll interrupt you. Hang on a minute. Just the other day, I was thinking about George Lucas as well, when I was reading a book. I read the start of the book, and it's like, oh, I've rewritten this book and taken out some chapters and removed some characters and stuff. 
and I've read that in lots of books before and I've never thought anything about it. Now that I think about it, you can't go back and fucking rewrite a book because 20 years later you didn't like that character. <laughs> but you can because he's leaving the original there. He's yeah. leaving the original, so he, he can release a second and third and fourth edition. Yeah. This one was about a, a wealthy as fuck guy who bought, like, all the coolest shit, all the coolest art in the world, and, like, kind of made his own little museum with his own rules mm. and said, I'll pick who can come into my museum. And the rest of the world, or at least Philly, was getting pissy about it. Yeah, like, not, but that's, it's all our art. Like, we all want to look at it. And then it sort of tackled, like, who, and then went, once he died, and he said, this art must stay here. It's not to be lent out or want, moved. Yeah, I want to leave it to my house. I want to have only, I mean, I'm not a prick. Some visitors can come a couple of days a week, but for the rest of the time, this is an art school. I want my students to have access to it. I want them to work unobstructed. Like $25 billion worth of art, did they say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he, he ran around from, like, 1890 to 1920 when he died buying um, every bit of good art that he liked that he wanted to. And they had some art critics going, oh, he would never bought this as shit. He, this $500 million painting, he wouldn't have even looked at it. It's fucking terrible. Mm. This guy had some taste. And he put it all in a museum, and he set it up to give to his students and his art school to run a perpetuality, and he left some money um, behind to leave it all sorted, and he wrote a big will going, this can't be sold, this can't be loaned, don't move it from the walls, don't open it up, I don't want you making it. I hate these fucking rich pricks that have art just to make their walls look good. I want this to educate. I don't like these people that send it around and use it to generate tourism dollars. This is just my art collection. It's yeah. mine, I own it, and I'm going to write down what I want to do with it. Boom, and he dies, and he, and he leaves someone in charge, and she fights hard for 50 years to have it that way, while the um, the Philadelphia Museum of Art is like, no, you should give us the collection, we'll look after it properly, we'll show it to people. No, nobody wanted that. Keep your fucking nose out of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I'm a wealthy benefactor, and I will, um, no, keep out of it. And then the story follows the, the fight, like it's... 30-year fight, almost. Mm. Really? But it was an interesting thing. Who does the art belong to? Should he really be allowed to hoard away that art? But yeah, kind of, because he bought it all, so it's sort of And it, it wasn't quite hoard away. I mean, he... Yeah, it was still open for yeah, public, any, but public could was see choosing. It. Yeah, but it, it's like you had to travel to the suburbs, which meant that all the tourists that stay in the hotel can't walk next door to the museum and see it. They have to, like, make a trip, and maybe it's busy, and wealthy people would turn up on a Monday and be furious that it was closed on a Monday. And what right do you have to... Yeah. Don't be a prick. Put your art in the museum. And he's like, I'll tell you what. Get, go fuck yourselves. I'll yeah. do what I want with it. But then, but the other interesting thing, the moral dilemma, was, like, how much, how closely do you follow a man's uh, will and Testament. He said, don't move it from here. But that place got run down, and the artwork may have started to have got damaged. Mm. And that really belongs to history and belongs to the world. So the museum was saying, well, bring it to us. Like, we'll really fucking look after it. But you're like, but his will says, you can't argue with him, he's dead. Yeah. And his will says, it's never to move from here. So that was another interesting, it had two different moral things to tackle. It was a David Goliath story as well. Like, at, at the end of the day, like, it was quite a natural progression of he left it to someone to look after, like a caretaker, curator, who left it to someone, at the very end of the day, got left to a university and they are in charge of it, but then someone corrupt moves up the ranks of the university and they, they try and do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, or they try and do the wrong thing for the right reasons. And next thing you know, it sort of slowly falls into the hands of these power-playing, giant charity corporations and museum benefactors and, and, and so forth. And it ends up being a David Goliath story with his old Old, a bunch of his old mm. Dr. Barnes old students and art lovers mm. fighting black and blue and the documentary used really good like titles on the screen every now and then to be like his enemy who he's been fighting to have these things removed from the wall and put in his own museum died in 2002 and left his estate to a museum under the rules that it not be loaned lent or sold oh 
yeah, fucking hypocrite. Like, that was quite well done. They were using titles for, uh, as Emphasis. jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they got quite a lot of commentary in it. And by this one, see, see how this woman's being a bitch? See how this? Guess what? She refused to talk to us. Mm. Zing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this had, this had, no, the whole doco, doco was really fascinating and it was filmed really well. It was devoid of anything that pissed me off. And an incredible off. trailer as well. Oh, nothing to complain about. It made me think of a lot, actually. It made me think of, I mentioned to you earlier, like, one, half the time I was like, this guy's a bit of a douche. Nothing's going to happen to the art. As far as the painting's concerned, it can hang in this dude's house in the suburbs or it can hang in a museum, six one half of the other. It doesn't matter. However, it benefits humanity much more if it's in a museum. No one will question you that. It's just one guy's will versus the benefit of humanity. But then you think of the dude that donates an entire park to Auckland City, Cornwall Park or One Tree Hill Park, whatever you call it. What if One Tree Hill, what if Auckland City was like, it benefits humanity much more if we can build houses on One Tree Hill. We can use that to make wind power for the entire country and we won't have to have any coal and nobody will die of lung cancer, for example. And you'd be like, fuck you, his will says to leave it as a park. Mm. Where's the way up between? On one hand, my brain's like, this guy's a douche, let his art be seen. And the other hand, my brain's like, it's his will. You can't fuck with a dead man's yeah. will. That's, he owned it. that's he horrible. Paid yeah. Millions and millions and squillions of dollars. It's yeah. his, and this is what he wants done with it. If in 1921, before he died, he'd have walked around that building with a can of gasoline and torched it, that would have been an uproar for five minutes. Well, I can't believe this selfish prick destroyed all his art, and that would have been the end of it. But instead, he didn't. He said, leave it there. Like, it was his to do with. He didn't rent it. He wasn't on loan from the artist. He totally bought it. He could have chosen to tag. He could have chosen to spray paint over all of it with bright orange fluoro. Like, that was his choice. In 1921. I'm sure they had fluoro spray paint. He chose to leave it and show it. And all he wanted, all he wanted, was two requirements to be stipulated forever. One, I want it shown in this building as an art school first and foremost, an education centre first and foremost, and then the public can see it on the off days. And two, no matter what happens... It's not to end up in those pretentious art institutes I hate so fucking much, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the blah, 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 and especially not this rich prick art collecting bastard who I've always hated. Two hours later, where's it end up? The Philadelphia Museum of fucking art and, yeah. and rich prick collection. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a David with Goliath, and, uh, and Goliath smashes David the very last scene, and, and the, David goes into mourning. It was a good docker. I really liked it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Too. Yeah. It's not a real exciting thing or anything like uh, Catfish was gripping and fucking thrilling and everything. This was just a really good doco about a really interesting subject, yeah, really yeah. well told. Where the entire cinema was packed full of art fans, uh, neither of us particularly are, but you didn't have to be. It wasn't, they didn't dwell on the paintings. It wasn't like, look at this, look at that brush stroke, that's why it's important, that's why it should be saved. It was more legal battles and yeah. battles of will and stories and, and complications and plots and overthrows and takeovers. And It was good. It was real good. Rubber. Not a doco at all. I can't even think to describe it. You, you go for it. You've seen it much more re recently than me. It's about a killer tyre. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No. It's so, about a tyre that comes to life. Psychotic telekinetic tyre. <laughs> he, he can kill people with... I know it's a he, because the credits call him Robert. Mm. He can kill people with his mind. mind? At no stage <laughs> does the tyre become anthropomorphic. He doesn't grow arms and pick up an Uzi. It's a, He's it's only a ever tire. a piece of tyre. Yeah. How does he roll? Well, he, he rides himself, and then he rolls down the road. Like, literally. How does he kill? He wobbles a bit. Energy across his up. thinking. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then someone's head blows off. Kind of gory, actually. There's a lot of, a lot of blood in this. I'm not sure I'm using the right words, but it's absurdist to real comedy gore. Yeah. But the thing is, it's a film about a killer tire. <laughs> that's enough. That's not the weird part. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> the weird part is we're watching an audience watching this story about but, a tire. But they're not watching on screens. They're parked on a hillside nearby. With binoculars that have been instructed to watch the story of this tire. We are looking through a fifth wall at people breaking the fourth wall looking <laughs> at a killer tire. There's, there's lots of walls and trapezoids being broken and, and exploded. Yeah, this thing is, you've never seen anything like it. It's, it's from, the, from the intro crazy. to the cops to the, like, leaving rubber marks on the sheets to, like, it was so strange, I can't. Yeah, bit of a spoiler, but at one stage when they kill off the audience, not us, obviously, the, the, the on-screen audience. Nearly all of them. Would they think they've killed off the audience? Then they stop acting. Like the the main cop, like tells everyone, okay, you can all go home now. Like the the audience is dead. We can stop acting. And the other actors don't follow suit. And it's it's so strange. They turn yeah, they turn to the cop and go, we, we can't stop, man. He's still like it was. I always think it might be a fraction too cold to become cold. <laughs> but it won't. Like this will get picked up by film students and shit and shown around DVDs at universities and stuff. This has got the makings of oh, yeah. a truly bizarre film. And it's got it's got other elements in it, but yeah, it's directed by Mr. Wazo, the DJ and the soundtrack's half done by one one half of Justice and he's in it. He guest stars in it as a as a hitchhiker. It's got James Parks, son number one from Kill Bill and, and whatnot. Red State and that. I think there's a lot of elements in this that'll just be... What's not to like? It's fucking the weirdest thing you've ever seen with a bunch of cool shit and a bunch of cool dudes in it. Yeah. And Timson brought it to the marathon attendees last year as a treat and it played beautifully to us all. Yeah. And and Bill Gosden brought it back for World Cinema Showcase. And what was the screening like? Was there applause? Was there... No. No one got up and left? Nobody was in there thinking, watch this, and, and was, was it a young No, you, you couldn't have even guessed what... If you were watching the audience, you couldn't have even guessed what was on screen. There, there wasn't much reaction. It wasn't the, the audience you'd guess. There was no clapping. There was no walkouts. Everyone just watched it with the movie. It was a bit... Actually, I saw it. There was four, four of us that watched it. Me and Jake, obviously, adored it. We'd seen it at the marathon. Al. Fucking loved it. Al wasn't impressed. He didn't like it. Just thought it was. And Simon, the other guy who Jake brought with him, he was enjoying it. He loved all it. Look, this thing is filmed beautifully too. I don't know where the fuck Mr. Wazzo got to be such a good filmmaker, mm. but this thing is gorgeous to look at. I remember that, like the beautiful desert shots when the tire first wakes up. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of rolling around the desert, just watching a tire roll around the desert, killing birds, birds and, and shit, rabbits yeah. and shit. It's pretty fun. And some good actors on but, the hillside, the audience. Is there some... Yeah, there's a couple of duds as well, but yeah. Oh, maybe a couple of duds, but I mean, a couple of them are semi-famous, or at least... Wingshauser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's another cult pool, of course. Simon didn't... Yeah, he was with it for halfway, and then he didn't like it by the end. So the four people I saw it with, only two of us liked it. So there is a... That's, a, that's only 50%. <laughs> well, those two idiots. So, done. Ooh. Yeah, fuck them. If you don't like this, there's something wrong with you. What's not to like? Anyway, rubber. <laughs> weirdest thing you'll see this year. Yeah, track it down. I don't know where they can see it. Is it that they still got time to see it? Is there another screening coming up? No. Yeah, you suck it. Go go rent it from videos he pawns me in a couple of weeks. Hope it gets a release, man. Oh, I don't like the chances. You reckon a Rialto would show something like this? Nah. Ant might bring it back as a as a. Nah, because it's not an art house thing. It is. It's a cult thing. Mm. Ant's probably pushed it twice to. Yeah. So there's been three, uh, four, four screenings now in in Auckland at least. Yeah. Maybe that's enough. Yeah. Cool, man.
So you've you've seen a lot more than me this um this last fortnight as well. You've been smashing it out of the cinema showcase as well as a, a couple more regular films than I have. Give us some thoughts on Niger's weeks. Yeah, I've been seeing um a bunch at the World Cinema Showcase, the Lennon Doco Patiche with Gerard Depardieu and Catherine Deneuve and stuff. But I wanted to mention uh, Brain of Assassins. We already talked about a piece of shit Chinese piece of shit fucking piece of shit movie. Shaolin. Yeah, one as well. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are good. Obviously, you know, Crouching Tiger, but Rain of Assassins is really good. Oh, cool. Really quiet and focused on story, which is interesting. It's beautifully filmed and blah, 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 blah. It's not focused on vistas so much. It's not a big sweeping thing or anything. It's kind of a small story. The fighting's really not that prevalent in it. There's a slight, slight pieces of waifu in there, which you know is my pet fucking hate. Didn't detract though? It was all good? It was barely in it. Did they need it? It was more like... So when someone get knocked over, they would stand up, and you go, you can't, it defies gravity. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't like they were flying over. Running on bamboo tips. A lake. Or, um, no, yeah, really good. Michelle Yao from Crouching Tiger yep. was the main chick. I'm not going to go into story or anything. but it was... She was also in the new Karate Kid. Really? Did you see that? Yeah. She's the chick starring, charming the cobra. Huh, I don't recall. She's the older one, right? In Crash and Tiger, there's Zhang Ziyi and there's Michelle Yeoh. Mm. Michelle Yeoh is the older one. Zhang Ziyi is mm. the younger. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Michelle Yeoh. No, I, I don't recall that part. Do you know what I found? I thought you were counting a spot aside, so I assumed you knew Yeah, that. yeah, I, I would have thought I would, I would have known that. I saw an interview the other day with Kate um, Blanchett. Yep. And the dude threw her a curveball. No, it wasn't really. She was kind of prepared for it. I didn't know. <laughs> She was Simon Pegg's girlfriend in Hot Fuzz. Oh, that he leaves in London? Yeah, when he comes in and they're all doing the, the forensics team and they're all on the white masks and, and everything and he starts talking to her, like, got to talk to her about your relationship and he's like, oh, actually, I'm not your girlfriend. That's oh, yeah, it. yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right, yep. And then he talks to her and they he goes away and talk about his rubber plant and that. Yeah. It was Kate Blanchett. Well, she and must have been a fan of um, Shaun the Dead and, like... Yeah, you can only see her eyes and hear her voice. And... Anyway, Reign of Assassins is pretty cool. Is it... Chinese Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They're, they're a husband and wife assassin's team who don't know the other person is an assassin. And then they have to kill each other. They get contacts on each other. Yes, but that's the twist at the end. Oh, okay. It's more like... What area is it set? How do they assassinate? With, like, sniper rifles or with, like, um, No, no, it's yeah. Oh, oh. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's all, all wobbly swords. Yeah, that's... I don't get those wobbly swords. What? In like, this one, in this one, it made sense. She had... She was called, um... <laughs> the main character's name, Michelle Yao, was Drizzle. Yeah, but she's got a, a bendy sword. The swords will clash, and hers will wrap around and cut, and it can cut so fast. It's called, like, the, the water-splitting sword or something, and it can cut so fast it looks like you've been cut by a downpour, like you have all these little cuts or something. Oh, bending doesn't wobble like a long ruler, but it actually will curve steel. You know, it bends right around like a fl- like flax or some shit. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's bizarre. There's slight, there's slight pieces of superpowers. One of her teammates is called the magician and he actually has some magic in it there's a little bit of, it's a bit slight fantasy but it doesn't come into it much it's just really good oh okay i was worried i didn't see it but i if i had him i would have been worried that there would have been way too much magic and cg and no. and, and magic and i would have worried it crashed like a hidden dragon there's a really good scene where he like the dude's describing the um sword and he's like there's 37 there's 37 rebels on the hilt and he smacks it with his two fingers and runs it down the blade and it wobbles, 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 and he like whacks it again, and it, and it harmonates. And, oh, fucking! I want a replica of the emerald. It just, harmonates, whatever. It's no, I actually don't know what you mean. Resonates, makes a wobble. Wee, 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 oh, right. Harmonates. Right. Jesus Christ! I'm just making up. <laughs> yeah, I want a replica of the of the emerald destiny, of the green destiny. <laughs> That's my favourite sword ever. That's a beautiful, thin-looking sword. 
Right. Another I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Rabbit Hole as well, which I saw, which I was pretty um, pretty keen to see. I know Nicole Kidman was up for a Best Actress at the Oscars, but crew... it's a cross between Moulin Rouge and Battle for LA, right? Exactly. Thanks. <laughs> the film spotting crew um, was pushing uh, Aaron Eckhart. They reckon he should have had been up for Best Actor. So I was really keen to see this because I thought this was another acting school, and I knew it was a harrowing piece. And I was ready once again to get the shit kicked out of me. Yep. Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart lose a child and have to deal with it and fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. And next... <laughs> um, yep. Tell you what was good, though. And this wasn't at the showcase. Well, Certified copy. Yep. Tricky to talk about because uh, the, mo the more you say about it, the more you ruin it. I saw the trailer. It looked gay. Yeah. Yeah, I really didn't want to see it until I heard she won Best Actress at Cannes. And it's like an Iranian film director's first mainstream film. So Iranian? Oh, yeah. I thought it was like a look. French film. Yeah, the director's are. Oh, okay. He couldn't speak the language he was filming in. So that's why I kind of uh, thought, oh, I'll give it a go. Right, that's right. Maybe it's, you know, another acting score. I fucking love acting scores. Give me the premise. The basic thing is an English author comes to do uh, a speech in Tuscany, and he's written a book called Certified Copy about, kind of fits in with uh, George Lucas and Art of the Steel, about what's so good about being original. If you've got a copy of the Mona Lisa isn't the point that the Mona Lisa is a great work of art. If you've got a copy, you're still looking at that artist's work. Yeah. And right down to, like, why not wear fake jewellery? If it all looks the same, what's the point? That's what his book's about. Yeah. Okay. So he comes to promote his book. There's a woman, Juliet Binoche, who's really interested in him for some reason. She uh, leaves a business card at the speech. He comes to an antique shop to have a look at her antiques or whatever. They decide not to stay there, and they decide to go for a drive instead. And so it's them driving, and they walk, and they look at sites, and they How go many Tuscan coffee. Are there? Yeah. Not that many, actually. Oh, yeah. It's really, really heavily focused on the conversation. This whole film is one extended conversation. Yeah. Um, if you've seen Before Sunset or Before Sunrise, it's like that. It's just you're focused on this, on this conversation. But where the conversation goes is amazing, and it's one of those things you can talk about. I want to know someone who's seen this, because I need to talk about this film. Fascinating. I'm not going to say any more than that. Tell me offline because I want to hear about it. If anyone sees it, talk to me about it. <laughs> nice. Ring Nigel. I don't know, Henry. Actually, if you, if you have seen it and you do want to have a dialogue with Nigel about it, you can find his website where he writes everything, which we probably should put up one day. But fuck it. Like, it's not that hard to drag him down. And you could comment on the underneath his blog. Yeah. Nigemo.wordpress.com. Yeah. There you go. Is that it? No, nah, it's probably just Google Nigemo and WordPress and BSA. <laughs> Google, Google those things and you'll find it. I'm sure I'm online somewhere. Yeah, fuck it. It's not that hard. I can find it. <laughs> oh, wait, no. Our, our iTunes page for the podcast has a link. Our website for this podcast is your website. Oh, there you go. Shabao. And he'll do a review on it. <laughs> and you can comment under it. Exactly. Go exactly. on, Mike. The last one I wanted to mention was uh, Millennium Actress, which was an uh, anime from the guy Satoshi Kon who died last year way too fucking early. He made Paprika, Tokyo Godfather's um, Perfect Blue. Yep. Genius, absolute fucking genius. This film I would recommend to more than anime fans because even though the anime is amazing, it's a really interesting story. These two guys, uh, they work at a TV studio or whatever, and they go and interview a retired actress. Yep. And it goes back through her life, but her life is told using scenes from movies she was in. 
So the genre and stuff's always changing. Like one one minute they're on a train, you know, then they're on a somewhere on a beach or whatever. So you have boat, then they're on an automobile. <laughs> John Candy comes in. They go to space, like it's she did an astronaut movie, and so that. But they've used those scenes from those movies to tell her life. Plus, the two interviewing her, the cameraman and the interviewer, are woven into those scenes. That in those scenes filming her, oh, yeah. and the interviewer is kind of in love with her. She's young when she's young and stuff, and it's it's made. I've never seen a film structured like that. It's nice. Bizarre. Another one of your film society jokes. Film society, film society rules. You're welcome to film society, and next thing you know, you're sending greatest film ever. Yeah, oh, that's very <laughs> cool. That's very cool. Let's race through what's on now. Um, oh, hang on a minute. You saw also, you're not getting out of this, buddy. You saw Red Riding Hood and Hall Pass. Cause you got, did not. Because you got FOMO. You got fear of missing out in case a film comes. You've mentioned it multiple times. There's no way to weasel out of it. How about Hall Pass and Red Riding Hood, bro? What do you think of those movies? <laughs> so, what's on this week, Corey? Exactly. There's this fucking answer. They were terrible. Hall um, Pass could have been awesome, but you don't know. you don't, you got to go and see these things. Yeah, fear of missing out. Sure. In case it's the next hangover. Could have been a brilliant comedy. It's not. It's shit and embarrassing and boring. Red Riding Hood has could got been, Gary Oldman in it. Could, yeah. could have been good. Could have been good. It could have been like, like the visuals look really good. The red, you know, Riding Hood in this in the snow. There's going to be like some big bad wolf monster. It might have been really creative. It wasn't. It was shit and was embarrassing. It? I'm going to go one step further. Now that I've seen it, I'm going to add the word house to the end of it. I'm going to say it was shit house. It was it shit was. house. What's on now? Like the big film, the the Hollywood films coming out now. There's only Sucker Punch that we care about. Watchmen, three hundred, Zack Snyder, Sucker Punch. Um, the Twitter sphere, the blogosphere, whatever, has been going rife with Zack Snyder's misogynist. Fuck, he hates women. I can't believe he writes films just to have short girls getting punching dudes. With, Who gives a shit? I'd love to see a film with girls in short skirts swinging samurai swords and beating up giant robots. Done. Applause, Zack Snyder. I'm a dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I imagine it's going to annoy the shit out of me, but it's one of those things that I, yeah, this is my bad, Lele. I'd like to see it on the big screen. It's explosions. VMAX, baby. If you want to catch a few works in the showcase films, because you still got a week by the time this comes out, there's Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, comedy splatter horror gore. Yeah, it's like a parody of the, uh, of the horror genre, but it is quite gory itself in parts. Yeah, and comedy. Comedy to boot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some last time, cool. And then um, We Are What We Are, which was your top ten. Yep, Mexican family drama. Family happen to be urban cannibals. That's right, cannibals. <laughs> um, <laughs> the way back, we're going to see it in like 10 minutes, actually. If we sound like we're talking faster, we are. <laughs> <laughs> the way back, which is the dudes that escaped from the Russian gulag um, archipelago war. I'm just throwing words out now. They sound like I read books. Um, yeah, they escaped from Russia. They didn't like it when I was like, oh, you know, it's that one Colin Farrell walks across the desert or something. He's like, oh, no, it's a Peter Weir film. He made fucking Master and Commander and... Dead Society, Mosquito Coast. That could the shit about Peter Weir. Yeah, it's a war... It's a, it's a war road. <laughs> it's Colin Farrell walking yeah, exactly. Walking through the desert. From Russia to India. I don't know how far that is on a map. That's a long way. And Restrepo, the US war doco. There's two war docos out this year. I don't think there's been any ever, and now there's two. Dante's Peak and Volcano. But one one is the Dutch film, Armadillo, and the other is the US film, Restrepo, which was picked up by the Academy for best... Doco. It was in doco section. Yeah, and that's you still got time to see that. And at Rialto, there's... Oh, yeah, Oceans. Were you? Yeah, Oceans, which is one of those large-screen, high-def... We took two, three years to film this with really expensive cameras underwater. Check out this fish that looks like an alien. Look at this whale. Um, it was awesome. Yeah. Me and Jack saw it at the large, um, the Civic last year for the film fest. It's pictures of bizarre underwater life on the big fucking screen. Yeah, shit you can't see anywhere else. Yep. Exactly. It's incredible. And uh, Mammoth is, um, at the moment, it's looking like Blue Valentine 2. It's Michelle Williams again in a, a drama. This time it's not Ryan Gosling. It's Gal Garcia Bernal, who's just as fucking awesome. Yep. 
going through relationship issues. Could be awesome. I don't know. I might try and see it this week. Nice. And um, the Academy Cinema in Auckland, what's that street? Lawn Street, underneath the library, bro. Opposite St. James or something. Yeah. This is the way I'm going to word it. I moved to Auckland in 2003, hoping beyond hope that I'd just moved to the biggest city in the, in the country and they were going to have doubles and matinees and I could see Pulp Fiction on the big screen even though it's not out anymore and maybe a Pulp Fiction Res Dog double or a sing-along to Little Shelf of Horrors or Rocky Horror Picture Show or um, The Sound of Music or there was just going like, to... I went to that, a double of Rocky Horror and ABBA the movie. Or like, you know, just on a Sunday afternoon you could go and see the original Terminator on the big screen for like 10 bucks just for fun. I moved there and I started meeting film people and they were like, fuck you. Auckland used to be all about that until six months ago. I've had to wait eight years. It's now 2011 and the Academy is doing repertory screenings, which we don't know what that word means. <laughs> Classics, cult, docos, and some new films six months old. They're bringing them back. 12 bucks, cheaper than you can get a movie in this town. All the good films. Let's fire them off. Casablanca, everybody's seen that. Play the game, Sam, is not actually said once. That's a common misconception. Correct. Well done. <laughs> I've seen it. Uh, Charade is my my beautiful favourite movie of all, all time, nearly. Uh, Audrey Hepburn, Cary Grant, Walter Matthau, twisty as fuck. Like, she's caught up in a... In a they're looking for gold and blah, 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 blah. Brilliant. Colourful Henry Mancini on the, on the brilliant score. Just nice. go see Charade. Anyone that's watched The Simpsons has seen the neighbour Ned Flanders scream, Stella! which is actually a Brando line off A Streetcar Named Desire. They're bringing that back. Yeah, they're doing a few Brando films to start off with. Um, Streetcar, uh, Last Tango in Paris. Everybody's heard of that. Nobody knows what it's Marlon about. Brando. Yep. Reflections in the Golden Eye is one I've never fucking heard of. I think it's a Brando film that they've chucked in because Liz Taylor's in it. And yeah. She died. Rip, Liz Taylor, rip. Yeah. And The Wizard of Oz, like they're bringing shit like that back. Bro, The Wizard of Oz on the big screen. Yeah, man. That's, um, that's some colourful stuff. Yeah. I wonder if we can get him to play the Floyd soundtrack. Maybe we'll just sneak in and put it on our iPhone, our iPods, <laughs> and just have our own private little thing. Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and there will be some. Um, there'll be yeah, audience involvement with some of them. Yeah, because it's all, it's always audience participation. You read the script, you throw shit around, and everyone plays along with the game. And Artificial stuff. hilarity. Yeah, this one's different. This has got a crew performing in front of us while the movie's playing, and they're gonna be like running through the aisles and shit. I imagine. Oh, fuck that noise. Audience participation, obligatory, apparently. Fuck that with a capital F. Yeah, so all these old films are, are coming back, and it's a, your only chance to see them on the big screen. But also new films, like if, if Toy Story 3 came out six months ago and I just ranted about how good it was. Oh, me. what a good movie. Thank you. Uh, like, they're bringing shit like that back. So maybe um, like maybe in two or three months' time, Social Network will be back on for 12 bucks. Like, you miss it, you hear about it, you listen to our podcast way too late, and then we tell you, Academy, everybody's favourite tiny um, specialty... Boutique? Yeah, boutique, yeah. Auckland's number one boutique. I mean, the leaders are good and all, but <laughs> get stuffed. You're not doing repertory screenings. Uh, <laughs> round of applause for the Academy for bringing Absolutely. back... Absolutely. Good on you, John. Yeah, John. Um, yeah, I'm hoping, like, what if we could see an education or something like that? Like, if he's going to bring films, not just classics, but films that are fucking decent and not that old... And he's doing oh, it properly. He's copping great. off the Astor, your favourite cinema in Melbourne. We'll talk yeah, about another boy. day. He's copying off that. Bring out a big calendar, give you plenty of warning, hopefully, that it's going to be, you know, lots of films coming up. You plan it. You just pick a day, one day, and you're like, oh, my God, I really want to see that. Uh, 12 bucks is a bit expensive. I should get the DVD. Go fuck yourselves. Go and watch it at Academy. Um, and big screen, big sound. Yeah, support your local um, blah, blah, blah. Fuck it. This is episode eight. I'm Corey. I'm Nigel. Yeah, ciao.